So, Mark. Yes? We were watching The Big Sick the other night, and there's a part of it that hit a little close to home. Which one? So there's one of the scenes where Kumail brings Emily back to his apartment. Yeah. And they're going to watch this ridiculous Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, and there's this great scene within that where she stares at him and she asks, is this your compatibility test? And goes on like, I love when men test me on my interests. And they just kind of watch the movie for a little while with him trying to insist that it's great. And of course, she's got to love it. And he's staring at her instead of watching the movie. I felt this very deeply. Yeah. And our roommate was actively cringing about, oh, Claire, our roommate that you all know. Yes, she's been on the show. Was like complaining about how this happens to her all the time and how much she hates it. So I almost had the opposite happen one time. There's one time there was this girl that I was like flirting with and we had watched Star Wars together. They had never seen Star Wars, the original one. Okay. And then like a couple of weeks later, she was out of town and she texted me like, hey, some of the people I'm with are talking about watching Empire Strikes Back. Should I watch it now or should I like wait to watch it with you? And I said, no, watch it now. Like, I care more about you seeing Empire Strikes Back than I care about watching it with you. That's interesting because I feel like she was doing that to flirt. I think you may oh, have she was missed abs- a lot of signals there. <laughs> she was absolutely doing it to flirt. So you kind of uh, said the wrong thing. I stand by my answer, though. Okay. If you say so. That was my I feel goal. like that was the wrong Okay. Well, nobody told you to talk yet. <laughs> I was really holding back, but I just had to jump in there. You'll be quiet until later. <laughs> we'll introduce. You may have heard a strange voice, but we will come back to that and introduce her later. I'll tell you, it wasn't Kermit. Okay. So, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and we'll see what's there. And this movie is actually going to be a little bit different from the stuff we've done before because for the first time it's based on a true story. Yeah, it's going to change a lot of things because like rating plausibility changes (laughs) when you're talking about something that has happened. Right, it's tricky. I mean, we kind of dealt with that before with The Muppets Take Manhattan, which is of course inspired (laughs) by real events. We had Kermit on to talk about his life story dealing with that. But as we discussed in the, I don't know if it made it into the final cut of the episode, but we talked about how the Muppet movies are considered to be staged. Right, yes. In Muppet canon, according to the 2011 Muppet movie, only the 2011 and 2014 Muppet movies really happened, as well as the original Muppet show. And the other movies are movies that those characters made. Yeah, so that's not even based on a true story. That's true. Well, for this true story, we decided we wanted some true elements brought into our commentary. So we brought in a special guest who can talk about this. And it's my sister, Mora. Hi. Hello. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us why you wanted to come on and talk about this movie? Okay. So The Big Sick, it's a rom-com about um, stand-up comedian Kumail. I'm not going to pretend to... Kumail Nanjiani. There we go. Um, And and his wife and how they met and fell in love. But um, for a lot of this movie, Emily is actually in a medically induced coma. So she's not really around for some of the major parts of the movie, which adds an interesting twist. And I really like this movie because I'm a nurse. So I think it's fun to look at all the scenes in the hospital and see if I think they are really realistic or not. Just to give us a preview, would you say yes, no, realistic? Mostly realistic, but I did notice, like, when she's there just laying in the coma, the IV pump is actually not infusing. Like, it's on the program screen, and, like, the heart rate and rhythm do not change at all, which is so unrealistic. Like, everybody's changes a little bit, and there are just a little – some things like that that I just – too staged. 
Wow, I'm going to be writing a scathing review on Google <laughs> Movies. Whoever was their medical consultant, I would like to speak to them. Amazon.com is about to get a one-star review. <laughs> well, Amazon produced this, so that's yeah. a double doozy on them. Yeah, send them an email, too. Really stick it to the man. Jeff Bezos, we're disappointed with you. So, Mark, when did you first see this? Um, So, I first saw it as part of... Uh, gpb screening actually i'd already graduated but nick and carolyn were going who are still students and i was just like uh it's free so i tagged along to this like free college showing of a movie great so i gotta watch it it's like a movie theater ish screen which was nice so i got to see it on a bigger screen yeah i actually got to see it in theaters this past summer of 2017 which was great i knew about it because kumail who also co-wrote the movie with his wife, Emily V. Gordon. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if you mentioned that. Yep. <laughs> I don't think I did, but that's okay. He's a frequent guest on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour show because he and its host, Linda Holmes, are big fans of rom-coms. Okay. And so he had been on talking about that project, so I knew it was coming and was eagerly anticipating it. Yeah. I saw it like a week before I took my nursing licensure exam. And I remember feeling so guilty for going to the movies. And Will was like, but it's about medicine. It counts as studying. It's fine. (laughs) I remember that because you insisted on sitting out in the lobby going over flashcards. While the previews were going on. (laughs) So our mom had to go and get you and bring you into the movie theater. You cannot talk about this. (laughs) None of this is getting cut. (laughs) None of this will be cut. (laughs) I was so stressed. (laughs) (laughs) So like I said... This movie is going to be different from everything we've covered because it's based on that real-life courtship between Kumail and Emily V. Gordon. And they wrote the script together. And Courtship, you know. Yes, it's very formal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said written requests. There was a chaperone at every date. Do you go on dates without chaperones? Obviously not. Good. Because I am a true lady and I would never let a man kiss me before I'm engaged, <laughs> William. Nice girls don't let men kiss them until after they're engaged. Men don't want the bloom rubbed off. And of course, Kumail plays himself in the movie as well. Right. And actually, one of the things I learned is that one time Kumail and Emily were telling the story of their relationship and Judd Apatow said like, oh, that would be a really good movie. And so then they started working on the script and putting it together and then he produced it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I wish a famous Hollywood producer would tell me that my life would make a great rom-com. Maybe try getting a medically induced coma. Maura, can you work on that? Uh, Maybe. We'll, we'll look into it. I'll accept that. So the movie, of course, is not directly biographical. It's as much adapted from their lives and sort of shifted to be more cinematically interesting. You mean a bunch of witty banter that works perfectly and flows so smoothly didn't happen in real life? Well, I don't know about the banter, but I was listening to an interview with Kumail Nanjiani on Todd Vanderwerf's podcast as I continue to name check podcasts more famous than ours, where he was saying that one of the rules they had in writing the script was that all of his stand-up is actual stand-up that he was delivering at that point in his life. I watched the video of him actually doing the whole thing about the cheese cocktail. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's cool. And for example, when he's talking about adaptation, like there's the scene in the movie where he goes to the drive-thru and he asks for a cheeseburger with four slices of cheese Mm -hmm. and it turns into this big ordeal because he's insisting on getting the extra cheese on the burger and when they won't give it to him he just takes four burgers and four orders of fries too yeah also when he and emily are in the uber at one point emily says like i don't date am pm nerds because he's like oh the two-day rule i've already seen you twice because it's after midnight now he has like a stand-up sketch about how he hates am pm nerds oh really yeah well so that burger thing is based on 
for him, he spent a lot of the time that Emily was in the hospital eating and they were trying to come up with a way to make that work in a movie. And they were like, instead of just having you with food all the time, we'll do this scene where you just buy a ton of food. <laughs> Can you imagine eating four cheeseburgers and four french fries? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm on the same page as Mora here. I had five guys on my way here and it was amazing. Yeah, but but now multiply that by more? four. Well, I'm not going to have four or five guys burgers, but I could eat like four quarter pounders. That's still it's so still much lot. food. That's gross. And not just four burgers, too, but four burgers and four fries. I didn't say I, I want to. I could maybe to. have like a burger and two fries. Yeah, probably. But not four of each. I didn't say I want to. We also do not see him eat all of that on screen. No, we know he true. bought that much food. We see him shove a bunch of fries in his mouth at one time, <laughs> which is, I think, supposed to imply that he did. I think I could do it. If we double in our subscribers in the next month, I will do it on a live stream on the Heart of Podness Facebook page. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so get to work on that. Um, this movie, it premiered at Sundance in January 2017. Like we said, it got picked up by Amazon for distribution. Uh, opened in late June. Made $42 million on a $5 million budget. Good so lord. That's pretty awesome. That's a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of that is because Kumail basically dedicated his Twitter account to heavily advertising it. <laughs> yeah. It was constantly like him tweeting about it, and then he would retweet anybody who said nice things about it. So it was this constant nonstop stream while Silicon Valley was airing. So people were probably following his feed for that over the summer and just getting nonstop big sick content. Also, it's a good movie. It's also a good True. movie, and we don't get a lot of movies like this. Right. We don't get a lot of rom-coms. And it's cool to see that happen. Kumail's a big rom-com nerd. His favorite movie is Four Weddings and a Funeral. I'm judging him for that. I have not seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I don't think it's that good. He I don't know. Seen, he has seen it many times and he watched it on his wedding day to like get pumped for his wedding. <sighs> I, don't, I mean, it was fine. I just don't understand what the big hype would be about for it. Well, maybe we'll watch it one day for the yeah. show. Is Four Weddings and a Funeral done by the same people as Death at a Funeral or are they completely it's different movies? It's done by movies? the same guy as Love Actually, I think. Or um, About Time. I think it's the same person who does all of those movies. Okay, because Death at a Funeral is actually really funny. I have not seen any of these wild. They're all British rom-coms. Is Death at a Funeral a rom-com? I think that's a dark comedy. Uh, you get the gist from the title. It yeah. sounds like somebody dies at a funeral. Pretty much. Okay, cool. But one of the things about Big Sick, it is really cool to not just see Kumail, who loves rom-coms, be in a rom-com, but to see him in one that's this good. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's time to start talking about the movie. As you know, we always do five points summarizing the movie. Maura, since you picked the movie, we've decided to force you to come up with all five points. These are my favorite episodes. So why don't you, <laughs> so why don't you start? All right, great. So the first point is when Kumail is doing a stand-up routine. And in the middle of it, he's like, oh, I'm from Pakistan. Like, anyone else here from Pakistan? And Emily goes, woohoo! And afterwards, he goes over to talk to her and introduce himself. And he goes, that was really rude of you to interrupt my routine. And he specifically she, says it's rude to heckle. Right. And she goes, I wasn't heckling, though. It was, I was woohooing you. There's a difference. Like, a woohoo is more positive. Okay, that's a common misconception. Uh -huh. Yelling anything at a comedian is considered heckling. Heckling doesn't have to be negative. So if I if I yelled out like, "You're amazing in bed," <laughs> that'd be a heckle. Yeah, it would be an accurate heckle. Yeah, my favorite sudden discovery in this, like everybody in this comedy club is somebody like Bo Burnham, Aidy right. Bryant. Mm -hmm. I did not realize the first time I saw it that David Allen Greer is the MC. Oh yeah. 
He's awesome. The yep. one who's doing cocaine, cocaine in the bathroom. <laughs> I would watch a spinoff just about him running a comedy club. Yeah. I also really enjoyed when he tried to impress her by writing her name in Urdu. Because <laughs> it was so bad. You it know was he's such done a that terrible pickup line. Her response was, wow, does this actually work for you? And it does later in the movie. It does. That's definitely one of those things that's like completely hit or miss. Also, yeah. definitely based on real life. Oh, for sure. It's so bad. Can you imagine if someone did that to you, Maura? I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be into it. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me right now? This is what you're doing? This is supposed to impress me yeah. that you speak another language. Cool. Yeah. Maura would just start talking jibber jabber and be like, oh, I speak another language. <laughs> I wish. But he's got like a bunch of weird little quirky things he does right at the beginning, which kind of like makes me amazed that she's stuck with him. Like they go home and after having sex, she's like, all right, I'm going to go home. And she calls an Uber and he's like, your Uber will be ready as soon as he finishes putting on his pants. And she realizes he was accepting, like available to accept rides the whole time they were having sex. But he didn't. True. But you never turn off that side hustle. (laughs) Always got to be grinding, making that money. Can you imagine that if someone stopped mid-sex to be like, sorry, I have to go pick someone up. I'm an Uber driver. I'll drive you home when I get back. They also, interesting choice, when they do go back to his place, he turns on Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, which I also wrote down a note. I was like, okay, I understand turning on a movie, but if you're going to start making out that fast, what's the point? Like, why go through the effort? At least maintain the pretense of watching the movie. Yeah, like, he doesn't even give it a minute. Yeah. Like, give it five minutes, ten minutes. <laughs> well, but, this movie runs almost two hours. I mean, they gotta cut something. Yeah, but, but they what? they could have made it clear that, like, they watched a bit of the movie first, you know? Like a fun cut or just a zoom in on the <laughs> zombies doing their thing. So you'd be doing, like, almost like a Batman, like, zoom in on the TV and then zoom <laughs> out. Zoom out, they're, they're making out. <laughs> I would love that. I also love the first time she sees his room and she's like, oh, oh, can I put my stuff down? He goes, oh, that corner. I think I cleaned that sometime in the past year. And then she sits down on his bed and she goes, oh, that's an inflated mattress. Well, bed is generous. It's a mattress on the floor. Yeah. It's an air mattress on the floor. <laughs> and he's like, what did you expect? And she goes, an actual mattress. And he says, well, an air mattress is an actual mattress. You're being bigoted against mattresses. <laughs> I also want to point out that she lives in what looks like a really nice building for just a grad student. I was considering that it's graduate student housing. Do they have that? So that is a thing at a lot of universities, particularly Midwestern universities. The apartment itself looks a little nice for it, but the building to me looks kind of like grad student housing. Yeah, that makes sense. But I was just like, all right, different worlds, man. But then you find out her dad's a teacher. Yeah. So it's just like, where's the money for this beautiful apartment in Chicago coming from? I mean, granted, the bar is set really low by Kumail's apartment. Is she David Allen Greer's drug dealer? Is that why she's at the comedy club? I really like this Maybe. interpretation. This is our spinoff. The movie takes a really dark turn. It, like, they come out with the sequel, which is Emily's cocaine ring getting exposed. <laughs> it's the big sicker. The bigger sick? The big sick too. The bigger sick. <laughs> I like that That's one. it. That's it. All Danger-esque right. one. Danger-esque it's two? two? <laughs> One day they'll make that movie. Oh, I hope it's in like 20 years. It's like and nobody understands. No it. one understands. They should it. start with Dangerous 2. Yeah, obviously. This time it's not Dangerous 1. Or Dangerous 3D. Okay. We will leave this Maura joke behind. I'm so confused. I have no idea what's going Maura on. Maura did not watch enough Homestar Runner as a child. Nope. <laughs> Clearly. Why don't we move on, Maura? What's our second point? All right. So, point two. 
Uh, Emily and Camille have been dating for a while, and she's at his place one day and finds this cigar box on his dresser filled with pictures of Pakistani women because Kumail's parents have been trying to set him up with an arranged marriage situation. And so she finds these pictures, and she's like, who are these women? What's going on? She was like, I should have known. There's all these red flags. You didn't want to meet my parents. The two-day rule where you couldn't see me more than two days in a row. And that's including if it goes beyond midnight, then that counts as both days. What? Like, is that real? I've never heard of it. What is the point? Like, why does he have this two-day rule? I think think it's so that um, because he, like, sees his parents on the weekend or something. And that way they wouldn't have to. I thought it was in the movie, but I I think it's a way of keeping particularly white women at arm's length from his parents. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Can we use this avenue to talk about Kumail's family? Yes. Who is a magnificent cast of characters. Yes. They're so good. I just love how his mom's always like, ooh, they just stopped by. And he goes, we live on a (laughs) cul-de-sac. No one is just stopping by. It's always... I wonder who that could be. There's a really great montage of just people coming by at one point in the movie. I just also love her commitment to the bit. Like, Kumail has straight up called her out on it every time, and she is still saying, who could that be? Oh, look who dropped by. I want to grow up to be a parent who is that committed to nonsense. (laughs) Just pretending that everything they do is... So unplanned, like, I'm not here to try and force you to be the child I want you to be. (laughs) Right. Which they particularly want him to stop doing comedy and go into the law. So they're constantly asking about the LSAT. Meanwhile, his sister-in-law is saying things like, oh, you should try out for that show Saturday Night Live. (laughs) She doesn't say try out. She just says, oh, you should be on that show (laughs) Saturday Night Live. And there's another point where someone says, you know who I think should do stand-up is Malala. (laughs) (laughs) But she only has the one story. (laughs) I just really like that they are interpreting stand-up just to mean anyone standing, standing up, up to talk. Speaking. It's just like, she should stand up. She has something to say. <laughs> so good. And I love also, the family. In the midst of this is, for example, when Kumail goes out with his brother and tells him that he's dating a white woman. And that's the whole sequence where his brother freaks out. And Kumail starts talking to the white people in the restaurant being like, no, no, he loves America, not a terrorist. <laughs> And also in that conversation, though, that's when we find out, like, how strict their family rules are about dating white people. And And specifically dating non-Pakistani Muslims. Right. And so Kamal's brother says, if you continue to date this white woman, mom will start ghosting you. Right. Yes. They talk about ghosting. Yeah. Because they already mentioned a uh, member of the family who's been completely shunned. Mm -hmm. How did his dad hack into this cousin's Facebook? That's what I want to know. Don't care. It's amazing. (laughs) So we're looking at point two where Emily finds that cigar box full of pictures yep and she ends up breaking up with him essentially in that moment right there's this whole exchange about how a lot of these red flags that you talked about are a pattern of if not outright lies and certainly deliberate deception yeah claire was funny because claire lived in bangladesh for three years i want to say and she was just like oh this white woman doesn't understand south asians at all <laughs> which like yeah there'd she be doesn't. no reason for her to. i know but claire was just so over it she was just like this person is overreacting clearly he can't tell his parents about you that would be a fairly shocking thing to discover yeah he is from pakistan it's not like he is born in america or anything it's like he moved to america when he was like 14 yeah. so clearly his family is going to be more traditional than most people you're encountering maybe but he's still actively engaged in this pursuit and not sharing that i think there is an element of deception involved yeah and from interviews that i listened to with both of them both kumail and emily v gordon they're saying that that stuff is escalated to a certain degree for dramatic purposes right because he also overreacts too yes like he does not give her any chance to have a reaction like he immediately fires back they both go in hot yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay 
So, Mora, what is point number three? All right. Start us off with it. So, point three, Kumail uses his Urdu line and brings this other woman over. So, it works. We've seen 50% of the time, according to what we've seen. And, um... 100% 100% of the time. It worked with Emily. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, wait, it did. <laughs> Maybe you guys should start trying this. I don't know <laughs> or, Urdu. I'm going to learn Urdu. <laughs> anyway, so this other woman comes over and then Kumail gets a phone call from one of Emily's friends saying, oh, Emily is in the hospital. She got sick. We all have some tests tomorrow. They have can finals. You, yeah. Can you go hang out with her and like just be there with her in the hospital? So he has to go to the hospital basically to make sure that Emily is alive. Yeah, keep an eye on her. Also, can you imagine if you were having a one-night stand with someone and they were like, sorry, my ex-girlfriend's in the hospital, I have to leave. So many weird things happen when he brings women home. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awkward. Which is worse, someone leaving to take an Uber or saying he has to go see his ex-girlfriend in the hospital? Leaving to take an Uber. Because if you had a, like, if the breakup was, you know, you're still sort of friendly afterwards, it would be understandable, I guess. Yeah. You know? It's the hospital. As opposed to the Uber, like, you don't have to take that Uber. Like, the hospital, they could be, like, really sick or something. Which Emily is really sick, and they don't really know why. They don't know that yet, but She hadn't been feeling great for a while. She had mentioned some pain in her ankles when they were at the grocery store. So he gets there. She is not thrilled to see him. Right. Clearly. Yes. As she is entitled to feel. Right. Yeah. But he sticks it out because... Like her friends, he's like, someone should be here. And that's when he winds up talking to a doctor who asks if Kumail is Emily's husband because they need to put her in a medically induced coma. I have so many Yeah, I was going to ask you about this, Laura. This is why you're on this episode. (laughs) I have so many issues with this part, okay? Because first of all, so maybe she's declined the part where like she can't consent to be put in the coma. Fine. So they ask him if he is her husband. He says no. Try and call her parents. Later on in the movie, the nurse is like, you should call her family. And they call them right up and they come. Why couldn't they have done that to get consent to intubate her and put her in the coma? Like that should have happened. Then if they couldn't, like if it was a real emergency and they really couldn't get in touch with any family, then and she's not a, like a DNR, DNI, like don't intubate then you could have just done it if it was a real emergency. I have a huge problem with the doctor being like, let me ask you again, are you her husband? And then what also kills me is this like informed consent he's getting. He's not taking the time to actually explain any of it to Kumail. Kumail is clearly distressed and confused. He's like, did you say coma? Like, what's the deal? And the doctor's just all annoyed. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to put her in a coma. It's fine. Like, no, Wait, what? This is so not acceptable. I It enrages me every time I see this scene. So I was wondering, like, what would the fallout be? So this man has fraudulently allowed a doctor to put someone in a coma. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess... what is the legal recourse? And who's liable? Is Kumail liable? The doctor, both of them? Well, I think the doctor is liable, and also someone is supposed to witness the consent and make sure that no one has any questions, and so that person could probably also be liable... And, like, I guess Kumail could, too, because he knowingly lied about it, which, like, probably nothing would happen because no one would bring it out and be like, hey, we're upset that you did this. But it's really, like, not cool that that happened. And I want to know if that was actually something that happened or if it was just dramatic effect. Why was Emily, like, unable to consent to this? that's what I was trying to figure out. Because at first, because down in the ER, she was fine. She was talking to him and everything. So I was like, why? If she's awake, why didn't you just ask her? But then by the time they're wheeling her away, she seems kind of confused. So I don't know if she was just, like, so out of it at that point. Like, sometimes if you're in that much, like, just, like, respiratory distress that they have to put you on an intubator, like might not be able to consent, but 
Yeah. I, the whole thing is very fishy and I just, ugh, just gets me. <laughs> what is SICU? What does the S stand for? It's a surgical ICU. That well, was just a medical question that like I had. It was name tag. I yeah. noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of those name tags, actually, Kumail on his Twitter account about two or three weeks ago tweeted out that Emily's mom discovered the hospital name tag on which he had written his phone number so that they could get in contact with him okay. when they first arrived. Yeah. She still had it in a box somewhere and had dug it up. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so that actually, it's at this point when they're in the hospital that Emily's parents show up, played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, both of whom are great in this so movie. Good. Yes, so good. Probably my favorite people in this they're movie. They're awesome. I love that the first thing you see Holly Hunter doing is putting a childhood blanket over Emily. Yeah. Because it it's tells a lot so about touching. Yeah. And it just gives so much in such a little motion, little move and it happens while kumail stayed overnight with emily and fell asleep looking very uncomfortable in this chair and he yeah. wakes up to holly hunter putting the blanket on emily it's so cute yeah. also his backpack is really cute i love him walking i don't know why backpack. but i was just i saw it and i was just like oh that's adorable as a lover of backpacks i identified very strongly for sure yeah so then he goes to the hospital every day to spend time with emily with her parents her parents really don't want him there his mom is like you guys broke up i don't understand what you're still doing here like you didn't care enough about her when she was awake. Now she's asleep. Like, what's the deal with the big effort here now? And they wind up bonding over the course of the movie. We'll skim over a lot of this because yeah. it's not romance for our right. purposes. Yeah. But there's a great scene where they go see Kumail doing stand-up. And somebody heckles him by telling him to go back to ISIS. And Holly Hunter, like, gets in a big fight with him. What, what did you just say? I uh, said he should go back to ISIS. Oh. That is a you... really confusing position. I mean, do you want ISIS to have more people? No, I was saying Guess that Guess what, to... everybody? We got ISIS recruiter here. <laughs> All right, glad we got to the bottom of that. <laughs> it's a great exchange. Uh, apparently, it may or may not be somewhat adapted from a time that Holly Hunter heckled somebody at the U.S. Open. What? <laughs> I was reading, I think it was a Hollywood Reporter interview, where they brought it up, and she was like, yes, let's please not talk about that. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder what happened. Oh, Maura, I also wanted to ask, do you think Dr. Cunningham is a good doctor? Because she looks very cool. The attending? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. We don't see her like a ton. Yeah. But um, I think the family meeting, you know, she could take more time to explain things. It's, they're getting a lot of information and you can tell like they don't understand all the medical information. Why would they? Like this is their first time experiencing something like this. So I think maybe she could have like taken some time to explain it more. But in general, she seems pretty personable, like you approachable, you know. I loved her sneakers. Yeah, I did notice that. What do you think of having that meeting in the bereavement room? I mean, it's. I think it's a good thing someone pointed it out to them. Like, hey, don't read into this at all. Because when we admit patients, one of the questions is, do you want to be seen by like a chaplain while you're here? And sometimes I ask that and people freak out and think it means they're dying. So <laughs> It immediately means last rites. Yeah. That's the only reason you could ever want to see a chaplain. No one's even hospital. assessed your child yeah. yet. And we already know the chaplain needs to come do last rites. <laughs> But yeah, so they get to know her, and then eventually they do figure out what's wrong with Emily. Partially because of Kumail mentioning that she hurt her ankle. Yeah. Right. She has Stills disease. Yeah. And that winds up being a clue to that. And so they're able to treat her and bring her out of the coma. Mm -hmm. So, point four. All right. So then Emily comes out of the coma, and when she's finally getting to go home, they have like a welcome home party, and Emily's mom invites Kumail to come to the party. And it, He and was there the whole time through the hospital. They exactly. have a really good bond. I love when she walks by him and just rubs his face. Yeah. That's <laughs> that a really a sweet moment. moment yeah. yeah. So Kumail then wants to talk to Emily, and he shows her he brought this bag of kind of like mementos 
from when she was in her coma and it is all the visitor name tags from all the times he went to the hospital. He was like, look, I came all these times to like visit you. And then also a jar of ashes of the pictures of the Pakistani woman that his parents wanted to set him up with. And just like some mementos to be like, look, I cared for you so much. Like, let's get back together. And she goes, well, I mean, all that stuff happened while I was asleep. In my mind, nothing has really changed. And so it's just kind of like she's kind of putting an end to it all. Yeah, I was thinking about that. This movie is almost like a time travel movie Mm -hmm. for Emily, where like she drops out of the timeline effectively, while Kumail really goes on this journey. And from his interactions, particularly with Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, he sort of reevaluates what he wants from his life and what he wants from his relationships and his relationships with his family as well. And then when Emily comes back, it's basically like no time has passed for her. Right. But Kumail is already most of the way through his arc. Right. And she says, like, I'm really glad you went through all of this, but I was asleep for the whole thing. Again, that's something they talked about in the interview that I listened to, which you have this situation where you then need to catch her up to the story mm-hmm. because that's already gone on. It kind of, for me, it almost felt like Kumail's arc ended when he told his parents about Emily. Right. That's sort of when he reached the culmination because he brought those relationships together and said, look, I don't want the same things that you do, but I still care about you. There's a funny sequence where he starts going to family meals, even though he's basically been disinvited. And no one looks at him even. They don't yeah. have a plate for him or anything. They don't have a plate for him set out or anything, but he sits down, he's just chatting with them for a while. And then he pulls out, he's brought cards that say like, pass the salt or ha ha ha. So that, that way they can communicate without having to talk. Right. But I really like this scene because in a normal rom-com, it would be like, oh, you were there for me the whole time. Like, oh, of course I'll take you back. But she's calling it like it is. Like, I, I didn't see any of this. I don't care. It makes it more realistic. It's nice, but... It's great for you. Yeah. But good, that, for, good for you, but, you it know... It doesn't change anything for me. Right. Which is tough. It's tough for Kumail, but, like, totally understandable. Oh, totally. Because right. her feelings wouldn't have changed. Yeah. Like, she's still upset. But as we'll see in the next point. Point five. Point five. Point five. Things take a turn. So um, Kumail decides to move to New York with some of his other comedian friends. And so he's out there doing a show. And because he and Emily have sort of like. Parted on decent terms. On decent terms. A kind of closure, I guess. She came to his one man show. Well, she didn't come to the show. She came after. after Right. And was talking to him about it. One-man shows are never not funny to me in TV and movies. Oh, for sure. They're always dreadful. They're always so bad. I always think about the Onion article. (laughs) Um, But also, I think about, like, season three of Transparent, when Judith Light is putting on her one-woman show, which is a great storyline. Yeah. I just think of the one Barney does and How I Met Your Mother to get back at Lily, and he just stands there and says moist for, like, an hour and a half, and then he's this weird, like, tin robot for a while. That's actually my biggest problem with La La Land, a movie that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. is that so much of the plot hinges on her putting on a one-woman show and I can't take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, but I did like that she basically is kind of like, we should try talking more. But he's like, oh, I'm moving to New York. And right. The, because right. it was after the party that he decided, like, well, there's nothing for me here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to move. And then she's kind of, you can see that she's disappointed. Right, but she tries to act like excited yeah. for him. Like, good for you. But then we see him packing up the car and leaving. Yeah. And there's some of that medium stuff in the stories that I've heard about the real life story. Yeah. Like Kumail was talking about how when she was awake but still in the hospital and he was still hanging out at the hospital a lot, he talked about there's one memory that he has of the two of them like sitting in the hospital watching a movie. And to him, it's like this big, great moment in their relationship. And to Emily, it's just like, uh, 
I'm in so much pain right now. <laughs> Probably high on some morphine or something. Body. Yeah. And so the different perceptions there are real and make sense. Yeah. Right. So how does it end, Mora? So he moves out to New York with his friends. He's out there doing a show. And at one point in the middle of the show, someone goes, woohoo. And he looks and it's Emily and she's there. And so he's like, oh, who are you? Where are you from? And they end up in the same sort of banter as before where he's like, you know, it's really rude to heckle someone during their show. And she's like, oh, I wasn't heckling you. I was woohooing you. And they go back into the exact same conversation that they had at the start of the movie. So it really brings things full circle. It's very cute. And also it's worth noting the real Emily V. Gordon is in the background in that scene. Oh, I didn't know that. I noticed her this time around. I didn't pick her out the first time. Yeah. And so the movie ends with the two of them. Making significant eye contact. Yeah. He asks where she's from, and she says Chicago, and he asks what she's doing in town. Here to see someone? And um, have you seen him or her? I mean, I don't don't know what your deal is, but... Yeah, I've seen him. It's a great, it's cute ending of the movie. Yeah, it ends right there. They show actual photos of Kumail and Emily's wedding over the credits. Mm Mm-hmm. With his Kumail's real parents. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to know, like, that they accept. They're speaking again. They show you at the end with his parents, like, there's hope for reconciliation. Yeah. But the pictures during the credits show you, like, there was reconciliation. They have a Pakistani wedding where both of his parents are there. So you know that everything worked out there, too. And actually, Kumail's real-life dad suggested the actor who plays Kumail's dad in the movie. (laughs) Did he really? Yeah. He's a a South Asian actor that he liked. That's amazing. He's really good. He's very good. Yeah. He's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, like we said at the top of the episode, talking about whether we find this romance believable is kind of tricky because it's so closely based on the writers and the male leads real life right but it's also an adaptation and it's a movie so i still think it's worth discussing right i think it's hard to separate because i just want to say like well it makes sense because it happened (laughs) right but i think for example there are key moments like the stuff mora was talking about in the hospital that are central to that romantic arc with kumail and with emily that are a little bit trickier like which ones like him putting her in the coma oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) lol remember that i want to know about. about yeah so what would you rate it, Will? On our 10-point scale, yeah, 10 is super believable, 0 is unbelievable. I mean, it's like an 8 or a 9, right? I, I think I would give it an 8 or a 9, too, because yeah. it's the romance we're rating, right? So even if we don't think he put her in a coma, like their relationship, I think, is very believable. Yeah, I'd say a 9. Okay, yeah. 9. We're, I would also say 9. We're giving it the Iron Man score. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Same as Iron Man. <laughs> hey, the romance, both work. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Man does not get enough credit for that. Do you think they're dateable? Emily and Kumail? What do you think, Maura? I think Kumail's a little too weird for me, personally. I think he's great. I think he's really funny. I don't think I would date him in real life. Emily, probably. Yeah. But I think if I had to choose one person in the movie to date, it might be Emily's mom. Because I just feel like she's just, she's funny. She's intense. She's spunky. But I would be afraid to be around her when she's mad. But... She seems like one of the coolest characters to me. Okay. Yeah, I think our two leads are probably both dateable. I'd say they're the most dateable of anyone we've talked about. They're probably the most dateable people we've talked about. (laughs) For sure. Certainly more than Miss Piggy. (laughs) That's not the highest bar we could have set. Yeah, I mean, the biggest stumbling block for Camille is the whole arranged marriage situation that his family is trying to pursue. Yeah, I think that would be an even bigger issue if I tried to date him. Maybe. (laughs) But I would say both of them, yeah. Who's your... 
number one. You know who I loved in this movie? Who? Aidy Bryant. Uh, that's what I was going to say. She's awesome. She's so perfect. Her stand-up set is hysterical. It's just about like her childhood journals yeah. that she's reproduced on a giant easel. Yeah, and she's got a great childhood picture. I love seeing people's old yearbook yeah. photos. Yeah, but she's also like pretty funny. Her actual spoken interactions with yeah. other people are pretty great. Well, if you say that, I'm going to say Bo Burnham because they're essentially the same character. Yes. <laughs> like, they are both just funny stand-up comedians that seem very nice. Yeah, exactly. And they make fun of Kumail for doing a one-man show, which... Is totally valid. He deserves. Yep. I'll go with Bo Burnham. Great. Awesome. So, this movie rules. Yeah, it's so good. So great. And it's also, it's on Amazon Prime, so you can stream it really easily. You should do it. You should watch it. Yeah. Great two hours. Everyone should watch it. Yes. I don't know why you wouldn't have watched it already. But if you haven't, do it now. All right. So I think that does it. I think we've covered the big sick. Yeah. So next week, we're going to be doing our first listener suggestion. Yeah. Catherine from DC sent us an email suggesting that we try to push things, do something with a really minor romantic plot line. So we're watching the classic 1980s EPA hating supernatural comedy Ghostbusters. Check it out and get ready to get slimed. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe. You can also buy a Lisa mattress using the code word <laughs> HEART. That's Lisa, L-E-E-S-A. They ship the mattress to you in a box the size of a mini Don't fridge. actually try this. We can't promise you any money off. <laughs> Obviously, nobody sponsors our show. But if we start doing it, they might get on board. Yeah, but we can't make any promises before then, Will. <laughs> but if they think that they're sponsoring our show, they might be like, oh, whoops, we're supposed to have been sending them money. <laughs> well, as long as we're not liable for fraud. Speaking of other cons that I'm trying to pull in this episode, last night while I was doing research for the episode, I tweeted at Kumail Nanjiani because he's very active on Twitter. He was at the Black Panther premiere mm-hmm. the other day, and he was tweeting about how great it was and how awesome the premiere was. And I tweeted at him, hey, Kumail Nanjiani, I see you're at the Black Panther premiere. What are your thoughts on the first and greatest Marvel movie, Howard the Duck? Oh, boy. He has not yet responded to me. (laughs) But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. If you say so. Yeah, don't hold your breath. And here's the thing. Look. Yeah, sure. Maybe he's not going to respond to me. But if he does... It's going to be incredible. Okay, if you say so. But if you do tweet at the show, make sure to include the hashtags. We love the love. It's the sound. It's the feeling. Nice skin. Fifi fierce. Fifi fierce. Foot forearm. Foot and foot forearm. Thanks for chiming in there, Mora. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I think I would have forgotten that one. Uh, it's one of the most important ones. Yeah. Still send us your foot forearm photos. Remember, <laughs> yeah. we're not stopping until a U.S. senator joins in. I still can't believe you guys didn't know that was a thing. I've I never like heard of this. People told me that in like fifth grade. I can't believe it's true for everyone, though. I really need to see a full study of this before I accept that it's We're going to find fact. an outlier. The truth is out there. <laughs> there is someone whose foot is not the same length as their forearm, and we will find them. So definitely join in this conversation. It's really important. We've got to keep this investigation alive. As always, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. That'll help you get new episodes every Monday and help other people find the show. And of course, if you do write us a review, tell us what cultural touchstone you'd frame a one-man show about your life around. And you can always email us at heartofpodness at gmail. Send us some questions or movie suggestions. We'll basically do any movie, so send them our way. 
Yeah. We'd love to hear from you guys. We got Ghostbusters coming up. It can happen. Yeah. So the last question, what's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Maura, you're up first. All right. Well, this is by no means good advice, but I love when Ray Romano gives Kumail dating advice and he goes, you'll know if you're with the woman you're meant to be with, if when you cheat on her, you feel really bad. And Camille goes, so to know I have to cheat on her? And he goes, yeah, never mind. Love is confusing. That's why they call it love. <laughs> and I just love that whole sequence where Ray Romano is trying to give this great fatherly advice and just really fails. Yeah, he's great. Make sure to lie on medical forms claiming you're married before you really are. Because if you believe it, it'll manifest itself. <laughs> I'm really inspired by the system that they're using for the arranged relationships. Not that I want an arranged relationship, but the idea that all these people have like, you know, a note card given like the basic facts. You just start off with that. And that way you can prep and be like, yeah, I watched the X-Files. A headshot and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Bring a headshot and a little bit about yourself on every date you go on. Yeah. So I think that's my advice. Make sure it's a signed headshot because if you ever make it big. Then they'll have that. They'll have that to remember you by. Yeah. So there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Hospital bound. So you know there will be treatment. Hey, all right. It's too late to put up a fight. Hospital gowns. So you know you should be sleeping. Some pills that you shouldn't take